and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Do you feel like you've not been able to make headway in achieving your goals? Or did you start the year pumped, ready to move forward on making things happen and simply lost your way? Things don't need to just get better. They actually can be better. In Design Your Dream Life, I'll show you a proven pathway to take you from where you are now to a life filled with joy, wholeness, success, and fulfillment. I'll give you the keys to not just developing a plan, but taking massive empowered action to make your dreams a reality. Turn roadblocks into stepping stones and leverage the power of gratitude and forgiveness. Let's face it, taking massive empowered action and making your dreams a reality isn't always easy. So I'll be there with you every step of the way. Visit dreamlifetoolkit.com to purchase your copy of Design Your Dream Life, obtain resources and join our free community. Again, that's dreamlifetoolkit.com. Big, big welcome back to the Dreamcast. Okay, you guys. So at the end of the day, I feel like my life purpose is to help light a fire within you, right? Within all of us. Because to be honest, my job is not to light a fire under you. My job is to light a fire within you. And I feel like we all have this God-given spark, this God-given passion and purpose that You know, and things just like we love it and it goes by fast and it's exciting to us. But sometimes it takes us a while to figure out what that is for ourselves. And on the Dreamcast, I love to bring on guests that help us figure out what that spark is for each and every one of us. I also love to bring on guests who have had to overcome challenges and grow into themselves because it's my firm belief that if we all knew how awesome we were, (laughs) we wouldn't take things so personally. We wouldn't live in the world of drama. We would truly live in the world of dreams and we'd let go of jealousy and comparison and and feeling not good enough. You know what I mean? Because we would have that inner confidence. And so our next guest, like a lot of us or a lot of our kids throughout the years, grew up being bullied and he often came home in tears. As a result, he lived his youth and even throughout his adult life as a person without confidence. He was always seeking outside validation from others, kids, parents, and even from bosses and coworkers. In addition to being an analysis, he chose to spend the last three years developing leadership, talent, recognition, and work-life development training programs at a $2 billion company and became the face of cultural change, which affected the lives of over 700 employees. You guys, he believes in a world where everyone pursues their life fulfillment, waking up each day full of gratitude, grateful and eager to deliver good work to help others and help themselves grow. And throughout the years, he's been able to step out of needing outside validation, having his eyes on what everyone else thought about him and grew to understand just how awesome he was and now wakes up every day living a life that he is proud to lead. He shares what he has learned through that journey with America's youth at school, uh, assemblies, 
and conferences. And you guys, I'm so excited to hear not only his journey, but how he takes his message and delivers it to today's team. So big Dreamcast, welcome to Troy Rice. Thank you, Denise. That was an incredible bio intro. I really appreciate that. I, I wove my own experience with you into, <laughs> into your bio. You guys, it's so fun. Um, Troy actually lives in uh, the city that I do. Our kids go to the same school and we got connected through a mutual friend. And so I love that there's people uh, on a mission just like us in our own backyard. So Troy, I want to hear about your bullying story because I know this isn't just a one day event. It actually ripples into years of life um, impacting your self-esteem. So what happened to you as a kid? Yes. Yes. And so I, uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to really get vulnerable about this and share more and being, you know, being vulnerable is powerful and people like hearing the truth. And so I would go probably a good 28 years of, of my life holding and internalizing being bullied as a kid and finally letting it out, just let the emotions go. You know, I was holding all these deep thoughts and deep emotions in close to my heart. But the perspective that I love sharing in schools is to still lead with kindness. And so uh, what I share is when I grew up, I Unfortunately, I, I was born with uh, two lazy eyes, and so I, I really couldn't get around that. I had to wear big uh, bifocal glasses to see. And back then, it's not like it is today where you have the Warby Parkers of the world and the cool glass lenses. It just it wasn't very attractive. And because of that, I got picked on a lot and picked on to the point where school was not a safe place for me. I, uh, I would get on the bus and I had kids that would knock the glasses, glasses off my face, stomp on them. And then I basically, I couldn't see. I had to ask for my parents to come get me because I couldn't even go to school. And I experienced that within the school and the hallways. And so I literally would wake up every day not wanting to go to school. And my parents were uh, fearful on what to do. And so one thing that they uh, thought was interesting, though, is I always felt bad for the bully. And I think it's easy um, when we think of bullying and everything to automatically think about disciplining or, or having hatred or anger towards somebody that puts you down. But even at a young age, I, I just felt like there was an understanding there. And so um, the story that I like to share is there was a bully that I had in, in uh, elementary school that I ended up dating in high school because... I felt like there was something there as to why she felt the need to to put me down. And there was. And when we were dating, I, I soon found out that she had a rough childhood at home. She had a rough childhood with her father and her mom wasn't around that often. And so, you know, in her words, she said when she was younger, it was her way to kind of cope with fitting in and uh, making herself feel better. And so when I talk in schools, I, I share that experience of vulnerability because I think bullying is, is a huge thing today that we need to understand. But I also like to share the perspectives of what it would look like if we chose to understood more instead of just disciplining. And so I wrote an article about this on LinkedIn as well, which breaks down the uh, questions of instead of just pointing fingers and shaming people that uh, bully others to ask more questions, see where their life comes from, find a way to talk to their parents and see if we can help each person. Because in my particular example and, and others, I've learned that uh, both people carry a certain set of insecurities, whether you're the person being bullied or whether you're the bully themselves. And so how can we uh, help those both of those situations get past that? 
I mean, how old were you when they are taking your Coke bottle glasses and stomping on them? Yeah, I was probably first started in first grade. And it was when I was able to ride the bus. So we had older kids on the bus, too. So I think it was anywhere between like first and fourth graders on this bus. And typically it was the older kids um, that would kind of engage in that. And so when they're doing that, you said you internalized it. So you yep. you stuffed it down. You just kind of were quiet about it. Why did you think they were doing it at that time? How did that impact the view of yourself? Well, and you, you know, you mentioned in the intro of, of no confidence. And I, I just, I had this feeling that I wasn't worth anything. And that the reason that they were doing it is because I didn't have anything to show. Like I didn't have any purpose. And like I was soon became the kid that always wore uh, sweatpants, right? And always wore dirty shoes and never got dressed in the morning because I just, I felt like I didn't matter. And the feeling I had was like, well, they either truly uh, hate me or they might have a problem themselves. And so like internally, I would just kind of go home and I would just hold it in. And my, my parents would try to get me to open up about it. But I, I did this even into an adulthood and we'll, we'll kind of get into this, which is like, I chose to just hold it in, in the fact that uh, maybe by uh, letting it go, it would make me fearful on change, I guess. And so I got to this point where like me as a person was like this kid that cautiously walked around and only kind of felt safe at home. And I didn't know what it would look like to change and I didn't want to open up about it. And I, I don't know if it comes from just this innate feeling of, of helping people, but my parents would like suggest going in and talking to parents and principals and reprimanding bus drivers and all that. And I would, even at that age, I would hold them from doing that because I didn't want, I didn't want to return the favor. I didn't want to hurt somebody else that hurt me. And I, as, as crazy as that sounds, I've always been the person that has that held forgiveness close to my heart. So, I mean, I, you guys, we've got, I'm, I've got a kindergartner and a third grader. And as a mom, if someone was doing that to my child, mama bear would come out, <laughs> you know, we would be like so protective because we have so much love for our kids. And I'm assuming your parents were similar. They had so much love for you. But what's so interesting is that the bully's words sometimes speak louder than our parents. So our parents can say, I love you. You're great. You're awesome. But yet there was still a piece of you that didn't feel good enough. And so walk me through living life kind of under the radar because you don't want to be noticed. You don't want to obviously pull more attention to yourself. So you're living life under the radar. When do you start realizing, okay, I guess I do have something to add. Like when does that, that, that inner strength start to build? Yeah. So in fifth grade, so it started to at least get a little better for me in fifth grade. In fifth grade, I had um, eye surgery. And what's interesting about this story is my parents wanted to look into it because of how I felt like this. They really felt like I was beat down so much. So we looked into it and, you know, went back when I was in fifth grade, there was no LASIK. So they went in there and they literally cut the muscle in both eyes and then tied them together. And so the success rate was not as high as it would be today. And I'm fortunate that I came out of that and still today um, don't have to wear glasses. And so it was a huge, huge impact on my life. And so what happened, though, is when I got that glimpse of, hey, I don't look like this anymore. Hey, people might accept me. 
I slowly tried to basically skate through everywhere I could by allowing other other people to validate what I did. And it, it had the shape and form of uh, wearing the same clothes, listening to the same music. Um, I played sports. I was somewhat athletic in, in high school. And so I would even do exactly what friends or coaches would tell me to do, even if I felt like sticking up for myself, because I didn't want to have that feeling like I did when I was younger of somebody disagreeing or saying something to me. And so I would literally build this seeking validation mentality all the way until about two years ago, where I would still work my way up in the corporate world. And you mentioned a lot of cultural change at a large company, but I realized that every time I would wake up, I would do things for other people. Every time I did something, I would do something for other people. And it doesn't mean that you don't help people, but I got to a place where I was never doing anything for myself. And then what happened was, since I was seeking validation, and in some aspects, I wasn't exactly getting what I thought I should. And so sometimes we put the effort in and we expect the reward. And by setting that expectation and continuing that path for years, I got to a point where they didn't line up. And I got so frustrated at the corporate world for not recognizing me for some efforts that I started blaming them. I started playing the, the why are they doing this game? Why can't they give this to me? Why do I put the effort in? And it wasn't until I completely hit a breaking point where I said, you know, this, there's got to be a better way than this. There's got to be a better life than this. And so I finally picked up a practice of gratitude and meditation that led to two things that I love in life, which is agriculture and education. And then from there, I leaped into creating this agriculture company called FarmBridge. And now I share that story um, in middle schools and high schools and universities with students and trying to get them to not lead a life of validation, starting at a young age and start thinking about the things that they love. Because I believe that when you do something you love, that's when you truly offer value to others. Ah, I'm like freaking out over here because, <laughs> because I hear you saying, okay, so not only did you have your eyes on others for validation, right? You were seeking their approval. So your self-worth was based on what someone else did or did not do. And so if they said, Troy, you're amazing, you were like, woohoo, I'm amazing. But if they didn't, you felt that too. Kind of just like the bully, well, I must not be amazing then. And so it gives so many other people our power over ourselves, doesn't it? And so at some point you were like, all right, I have to think I'm amazing myself. (laughs) I can't leave it to other people. I can't have other people decide this for me because then if they withhold it, then I get emotionally upset. And I find this so often with teens and adults, because I think so many times we are living in this world of looking for external validation, wondering what to do, not knowing our next step, looking for everyone else to kind of guide us, probably because we spent 20, 25 years of our life being told what to do. And then when we get into adulthood, we're kind of left to ourselves. But one story I wanted to bring up and see what you experience when you go into the high schools is I'm working on a Dream Life teen journal right now. And so this past week, I went into um, Hudsonville High School and met with their English class. And I got to interview them about current struggles and solutions to those struggles and what are you know inner like strengths or skills they want to learn or feel like they could learn, things like that. And one of the things they said that I thought was so interesting 
was if they don't tag someone on whatever social media platform they're using, because it's probably not Facebook. I don't know what it is. (laughs) But if they don't tag someone, other people are upset at them. So if they forget or are busy or something, so they're managing their own emotions, but then they're also trying to manage everybody else's emotions because they're afraid that other people are going to be upset at them. And I just, I find that there is first heightened emotions, like everything's emotional when you're a teenager, but then there's, because of the lack of self-confidence and the ease of being mean to each other, they take things so personally. So when you go into the school, you're kind of balancing both. You're saying, all right, build your inner strength, validate yourself, essentially, so you don't need all this external stuff. What's a skill that you teach them in school to do this? What do you find on that topic? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I just wrote an article about this, too, um, because uh, a parent that I'm friends with has a teenage daughter, and she struggles with very similar things that you're talking about, which is like her friends, right? Friends come and go. What happens when you think that somebody likes you and then they turn around and they act completely different when you're not around? And what does that look like? And so basically what I was trying to get to on that is we have to look in at ourselves because if we're constantly looking out to our friends and we're saying, okay, well, they, they like me today, but tomorrow they don't. And we're playing these mind games in our head. We're, we're forgetting about how we move forward, which is how are we self-reflecting on what we could have done differently? And so I think it comes down to an understanding, right? Because most times, if you think about a particular situation where you said that this is my best friend today, but then yesterday, they all of a sudden, they started acting distant. They weren't texting me back. They weren't liking any of my posts. And what if instead of saying they don't like me anymore and then internalizing this, what if we said, all right, let me try and ask better questions so I can understand what's going on in their world? Because most often than not, they're not trying to mistreat you. It's probably they're trying to deal with their own thing and they're struggling themselves with what that looks like. And so what would it look like to actually just call your friend up and say, hey, what's going on? Like I I want to be there for you. And I noticed that maybe you didn't have time to to talk to me the other day. I want to be here for you. So tell me how I can care about you. And so I wrote this article about understanding and an aspect of self-reflection versus seeking approval from people on where you think that you should be every day. How are, what questions could a teenager or adult ask if they're feeling like someone's being rude to them? So first of all, I would ask of yourself first. I always believe that if uh, if you can change yourself, then you can move forward because a lot of the times you can't physically change somebody else. You can motivate somebody, but you can't change them. So first, I would say, what can I change about myself in this moment? And if, if it was nothing, let's say like you did nothing wrong. Then the next question is, how can I offer uh, a way to care? If I truly believe in this person and, and I love their friendship um, or family member, whoever it is, how can I show that I care in this moment and see what that looks like to our relationship? That way I'm putting them first and I'm realizing that me as a person, I'm best off offering kindness in this moment as opposed to coming up with assumptions. Do you find that teenagers are emotionally capable of being the better person in this way? 
I think it comes with a little bit of effort. And so, you know, you alluded to this earlier, which is by definition, school systems in the industrial age teach people to live with a fixed mindset. And so to tell a, a teenager to inwardly look at yourself and reflect on what you should do differently doesn't always sit right because they've lived their entire life not having to do that, right? They lived their entire life by somebody telling them what they should do. This is how you should get up every morning. This is how you should study. This is why you're smart at math. This, these, these grades validate who you are. And, and in reality, you and I both know that that's not true, right? Because you know, grades don't validate you as a person. Things that people force you to do aren't necessarily things that you usually care about. And so it, it starts with figuring out who you are and what you care about first. And so like the advice that I offered this dad and my friend is that could he invite her to at least think about like two things that she cares about in life and start there. And then as soon as she figures that out, then she could start to think about what it might look like to actually be that person who that person actually is, is her true self. And so what, what all of us really love about each other is truth. And a lot of the times we, since we have these fixed mindsets that we have to break down, our natural reaction is to speak in abstracts, right? It's to speak in other people's terms. It's to speak in uh, what somebody else taught you. And it's not to speak with what you believe in, which is, I care about family or I care about love. And, and so I think it has, it has to start from the foundation, which is, you know, the, I, I love talking about this perspective. So like there are times when I get a chance to go in and speak with like fifth grade and the best way to get at them is to say, Hey, you remember when you were five years old and you had a parent or somebody that said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And at that point you had, you had no industrial age mindset system in place. All you had was, I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be a, a sports announcer. I want to be uh, on a cover of a magazine, whatever it is. And you had nothing shaping your opinions. And so what I try to get them to do is go back to that place because that place is where you are being your true self and figure out what that looks like. And even if you said, I wanted to be a professional basketball player and you don't even play basketball today, Think about why you wanted to play basketball, because something about basketball you really cared about. And then when you figure that out, then you can figure out who you really are and what you can offer to the world. Oh, I have a third grade boy and I'm totally asking him that today. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, but you know what I think is really interesting is sometimes we don't give teenagers enough credit. You're exactly right. They were taught as, as were we, a fixed mindset in, in school. And some of it, I'm sure, is necessary. Go stand straight in line, be quiet when the teacher's talking. All of that is, you know, an important life skill, be respectful, all of that. But we have lost our creativity. We have lost a bit of the imagination. And we have lost the bit of, of who am I? Because I'm not just one of 25. I'm me, you know? And so you're teaching them a whole new skill set of questions that they can ask themselves and ask others. And when they learn this new skill set, they can do it. I remember, this is a silly example, but I remember I grew up in church and I learned to turn the other cheek, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will never forget this. I remember my sister was being me, like she was pushing me and she pushed me down on the ground and she was like hitting me and I didn't fight back. And I thought to myself, turn the other cheek. <laughs> and I, she kept hitting me. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> but I remember that because 
what I was taught in that moment did come through in my actions and I didn't fight back and she got in trouble and everything was fine. But I think that often because teens don't know these questions, they can't ask themselves this. But when they know them, they actually can learn and develop and take action in a new way. That, that is so true. I mean, <laughs> you know, our kids are in the same school. And so Kellen in first grade, um, the other day, he was told by his teacher that he was good at math, right? He was smart at math because he was doing good at it and all that. And I said, well, Kellen, why do you think that you're smart at math? And I, I was hoping that he would answer the way that I've taught him, which is practice. Because what often happens is we tell people that they're smart at something or they're good test takers. And so what happens is when they uh, come across the challenge, then all, automatically something flips in their mind and they're like, oh, no, I'm not smart anymore. And it was never about that. It's, it's always about the effort. It's always about the practice and the discipline and the way to stick to it. And what I love talking about too is like, even like sports athletes, like a lot of the times when we read journalist articles or whatever, it, it always talks about like their innate talents and abilities, right? But it completely discounts their practice, their discipline, their 10,000 hours of in a room, you know, dribbling a basketball, or whatever it is. And so those are the things that we need to tell our kids about, right? They, we need to tell them about the efforts and everything, not the, the mindset of like an abstract version of what smart looks like. Because what happens, like you said, when they go out into the real world and then all of a sudden they get a problem and it seems very similar to what they have in the childhood and they struggle and they're like, oh, shoot, I don't know what to do anymore. I, I, I guess I'm not smart at that. I'll go ahead and just do something different. So what did your son say to your question? Yeah, he said, because I practice it, Dad. And I said, that's right. Oh, score. (laughs) And I, you know, it's funny. I I messaged the uh, teacher. So he's got a substitute teacher right now because his his, uh, normal teacher is out on maternity leave. And what I think is awesome is the substitute teacher sends us an email once a week and just says, all right, here is an observation of Kellen. Here's um, a growth of Kellen or whatever. And so I messaged her back and I said, I love this. Thanks for sending this every week. And I really appreciate that. And I, and I shared the story. I said, you know, Kellen came home with, with math and I told him and we said, you know, the reason he's doing that is because he practices. He practices at home. He practices at school. And, and I said, I, be, I believe in teaching kids to the growth mindset. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you in case that was valuable. And she, she sent me a note back and she said, that's awesome. Thank you very much. So that's so fun. Well, I want to ask you a few more questions about these kids, because we know that we don't want to live in a fixed mindset world. We do want to teach them growth mindset. What are some other ways that we can do this at home with our own kids? Yeah. So first of all, the best book I've ever read is Mindset by Carol Dweck, by hands down, best book ever. But besides that, uh, what I try and catch myself in moments of doing is automatically praise for effort like whatever they do uh praise for effort the the one other thing that uh, i try to teach too is recognizing without a reward every time because every time that you have somebody you have your uh your your son or daughter or whatever do something if you reward them they automatically associate to doing something and getting a reward and what that does is it kind of teaches them to grow up that way, right? It teaches them that, okay, well, I'll do this only if I get a reward. And that's not really what you want to do. And so um, we try to pause ourselves in moments where we go to reward them because it's natural, right? You want to, oh, yeah, well, we should give them this and that. But that's not really the right mindset that you want to 
lead your kids with. The other piece is, uh, and I was sharing this with with a, a parent friend the other day, which is catching ourselves in moments of 100% discipline all the time. And so what I meant by that is, are we parenting and coaching so many times throughout a day where it becomes less about a moment of learning for the kid and more about like, man, what is mom or dad going to tell me to do again? And so, and I share that because I catch myself doing it, right? Because I want the best for my kids, just like we all do, just like you do. And what I catch myself doing though, is spending like every hour that I can trying to get them to do better, but they're a kid, you know, and they need to realize that they're a kid. And so Another thing that we try to do too is make sure that we instill fun and not 100% discipline. Even if it's a moment where discipline is needed, sometimes letting it slip for the sake of 100% discipline makes sense. Awesome. Awesome. And I want to swing back to the bullying again, because you carried into your adulthood, you were seeking validation. As you grew in your own inner strength, You now teach high schools, middle schools, and it sounds like even elementary school students, empathy. And so when we say feel bad for the bully, you're really teaching them empathy to see themselves in someone else's shoes. And I talk to my boys um, about this as well. I say, people are mean. It's usually because they're having a bad day. And so we talk about how how it's a reflection of of their day, not necessarily you. Um, and sometimes you are probably being annoying, but other times um, <laughs> it, it's a reflection on them and to, and to see yourself in that person's shoes to not take things so personally. So when you're at schools, I'd love to hear a few ways that we can build empathy with kids. Because when I was at the high school last week, it was a bit interesting. I kind of pretend like I have a bubble around me. And I learned this when I was a counselor, because I can't care more about your life than you do. And so you tell me all this stuff and I have to kind of like not allow it in, you know, Uh, especially in a counseling situation. But we also want to have empathy for that person. So it's not that we don't care and we've got a hard shell and, you know, we're, we're, you know, just in our own stuff. We want to have empathy, but we also don't want to take things personally, which is a very interesting line. So when I was talking to the class, we were brainstorming about that because when emotions are heightened, that line can be a bit skewed. So how do you teach empathy to kids? Gratitude. Ooh. And it, it sounds simple, but it's something that even adults, including myself, struggle with too, right? I build a gratitude practice in the morning and meditation and everything. But it's really hard for young kids to do that. And so most times I come into schools and I ask them about that. And, you know, there's one kid that raised their hand and said, Thanksgiving every time. And it's like, yes, there's that one time every year that we say grateful for something. But, you know, I, I believe it was Tony Robbins that said this at one point, but it wasn't, I don't think it was his phrase, but you can't be curious and angry at the same time. And so being grateful helps ground yourself and it helps you realize the tremendous things in life that you really have. And it's so more important nowadays than ever because of smartphones and devices and constantly engaged. I mean, we we trade boredom for engagement every day of the week. And what that does is it doesn't actually allow us to think about how we could better ourselves personally. And so to be able to have empathy in any situation we have to have moments where we ground ourselves and bring us back to where we are, right? Sometimes we go through our days and we something impacts us emotionally and we automatically get angry about it. And in that moment, if you could just practice gratitude about what you have, how powerful would that be and how you react with others, you know? Because 
I mean, to think about the the things in life we get so angry about can seem so petty. And just a five minute practice of how great your family is, how great your siblings are, your parents, school systems, where you live, being able to eat, anything like that really helps open you up to understanding other people. You cannot be curious and angry at the same time. I love that. We have a gratitude jar. So once a week or so, not every day because of life, but um, can try we consistently. We write down fun things we did or what we're grateful for that week. You know, if, um, someone loses a tooth or we had a birthday party or we went sledding or things we want to remember. And we put it in a jar. And then on New Year's, around New Year's time, we read all the fun things that we did throughout the year as we make our dream goal boards for the next year. And so we've got years of these gratitude, you know, sticky notes in a envelope now that we can go back to throughout the years. And it's just a fun way to teach it as a lifestyle rather than, you know, once a year kind of thing. I love that. I love that. I'm, I might be uh, stealing that one from you. Right. <laughs> I love that a lot. <laughs> oh, cool. One question I've been asking my boys on the way to school and they get so mad at me right now um, is I say, <laughs> I said, so what is one way you can make somebody's day better? And I wanted to say impact someone, but I think that's too big of a word for them. So I said, so what are some ways you can make other, you know, somebody's day better? Holding the door, smiling at them, complimenting them, telling them you like their shoes or, you know, whatever. And then on the way home, I say, so did you make someone's day better today? And as of now, they only groan at me, but I'm hoping (laughs) they they will start to hear that and at least think of it or see opportunities throughout their day. So you should try this out. I did this with Kellen. Um, I took a sticky note and I just, I wrote one act of kindness and I put that in his lunchbox and I'll randomly do that every once in a while. And so, um, I mean, even if they're thinking about it, you know, I mean, there are so many things to think about when you're a kid. And if you at least just even think about the thought of kindness for an ounce, it, it matters. I love that. I love that. Well, we know we cannot protect all of our kids from every bully because we know that Kids being mean to each other is just part of development. But what we can do is teach them how to ask themselves those growth-minded questions, how to have empathy for other people. And when we give them credit for learning these skills, even at a young age, I think we're teaching a whole new generation how to live in a growth-minded world rather than a fixed world. Beautiful. So any other thoughts for any moms out there who have kids who are getting picked on? Is there is there something that you'd like to leave them with? Patience. I'm going to put my dad hat on here. It's very hard to have patience in moments of high emotions. And so just a, a, a subtle practice of patience in those moments make make a big difference because... I can think about how I would feel if Kellen came home crying every day. I mean, you can just imagine like the the bubbles boiling, right? And so it's very natural to get upset, angry, make a rash decision. Even when we're trying to coach our kids uh, about doing something, it doesn't come out right because we're already experiencing frustration. And so what would it look like to practice patience? And, you know, it could could come in the, the form of just hearing, walking away for a minute, maybe practicing some type of meditation for like three minutes and then coming back to the situation. And that sounds easier said than done. Uh, meditation in, in, a, in general is hard uh, for people to shut their minds off. But 
I think I think patience allows us to actually teach with a clear mind. So absolutely. Um, two last questions for you. You've named one book that you love, but as you are growing into this growth mindset and really developing that inner strength and letting go of the internalization of that negativity from when you were a kid that was still impacting you, what are some of the, your favorite books, things that you've read that have really been helpful? Yes. So every book by Seth Godin I read. And so he's a well-known marketing guru. He runs an all-MBA program, which I was fortunate to go through. I read anything that he writes uh, about on LinkedIn and books. But some of my favorite books uh, right now, I'm reading uh, Black Box Thinking by Matthew Side. He also wrote a book about bounce, which is very, very interesting. The So like the black box thinking is the concept of, it, it contrasts the medical industry and the aviation industry and how uh, the implementation of a black box in airplanes to learn about mistakes because, and this is a whole nother topic, but how we choose to not actually talk about mistakes and learn from them. We choose to skate around them. And so the whole book is around the people and the organizations that do that grow the fastest versus the ones that choose to discount mistakes, don't ever learn from them. And so it's a very, very interesting book. A Beautiful Constraint is amazing. It talks about everything that we do in life that holds us back. The fearful questions, the um, initial constraints and in, 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 uh, obstacles that we have, and then what is the moment in our brain where we choose to make a decision? And that is an awesome book. I'm trying to think if there's one more. Uh, Simon Sinek are, are really good books that I always uh, typically grab. There's a, a short read book that I always recommend to everybody just because it's fun and engaging, but it's called Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. And he's got two books that he writes and I'm showing you, um, I know maybe the audience will be able to see, but uh, it's it's got like graphics and pictures, but it's very succinct. And so it's a New York Times bestseller and it's awesome. And so that's a good one too. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And as you are continuing to grow, but not just grow yourself, you're teaching what you're learning through your companies um, to people, adults and kids consistently. What are two day or what are some things that you do every day that you couldn't live without that help keep you filled? Yeah, uh, I get up at 4 a.m. <laughs> and I, uh, I lift weights and listen to books. Um, I'm a, a book listener, uh, which actually allows me to read pretty close to like 30 books a year, which is awesome. And then I go to hot yoga and uh, I joke with students in class because Whenever I say that, I usually get a few chuckles. And uh, I think I get a few chuckles because it's the same mindset that I had, which is when my wife got me into hot yoga, I was like, there's no way I'm going. Nope, I'm not going to be the only guy in the studio. No way. guy. And this is just stereotyping, but guys don't do yoga. And um, there was a moment there where I was like one of two guys only in the yoga studio. But I love it so much because besides the physicality, it's the only... Um, it's the full hour of my day where I force myself to mentally be prepared for the day. And so that is a huge part of my morning. And I will practice gratitude for at least 15 minutes every morning too. I will do 30 minutes of meditation. And so there's a, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a, a promotion on this one. So there's a human 2.0 podcast out there. And the only reason I'm sharing this one right now is I came across this guy in this podcast and one huge, powerful um, interview that they did was a conglomeration of three successful people on meditation. And it was incredible. It was, it was literally just a 10 minute listen, but it was about letting like the inner light shine and like the reasons that the same things come back to us every day that we want to change, whether that's 
financial problems, growth, business, sales, whatever it is, it's typically because we're kind of holding the light in on ourselves and we're attracting that. And so I thought that was like one of the most powerful messages I've ever learned, I've, I've ever heard. And because of that, I've, I've been a little bit more intently on, on meditating. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for continuing to say yes to your dreams. A lot of people learn, but not everybody learns and teaches and shares what they learn to make the world around them better. So thank you, Troy, for sharing your message with us today and with schools all around the country. And if you guys are interested in learning a bit more about him, his message, or you want him to speak at your school or uh, community or event, go to troy-rice.com and all of the information will be in the show notes below. So thank you so, so much. Have an amazing day. Thank you, Denise. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I want to hear your aha moment from today's amazing episode. If you could leave a review at whatever podcast player you choose to listen from, Apple Podcast, CastBox, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening from, leave a review and share with us your favorite part of today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. And remember to dream big.